Let the church say amen. Mary, don't you weep. And tell Martha, don't you moan. In looking at that great spiritual coming up, I never could see the connectivity of Mary and Martha who were weeping over their brother Lazarus's death. And the children of, of Israel crossing the Red Sea. But then, as I got older and realized the wisdom of our elders and ancestors, when you, when you find yourself in a teary-eyed position, you need to be reminded that God can do anything but fail. Some things are born and learned from books but other things are learned out, are wrought out of experience. And so we celebrate today the great influence of our ancestors. Beloved, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come and share on this, the 19th pastoral anniversary of Dr. James T. Murphy, Jr. I want to thank you for this unique moment in history. And it is a historical moment and you have bestowed upon me such a great honor because he's been here 19 years and we pray that he'll be here 20 and many more. But there will only be one 19th anniversary preacher and you have deemed that to me and given me such a wonderful tribute we want to thank God for the ministry of Dr. Murphy. Greater Little Zion, I hope you realize how blessed you are. Too often times we treat our preachers, we treat our clergy as Christmas toys. You know how it is when you get that Barbie doll that you wanted since April, or that train set, or that hoverboard. You've been wanting it ever since the spring, and finally, the 25th of December comes, you play with it passionately for about two weeks. And then the next thing you know, it's under the bushes outside of the door. And so we are grateful for 19 years of stellar pastoral leadership. There's much I could say about my friend but I won't for fear of redundancy because you already know he is a rapacious reader. You already know he has an insatiable appetite for learning. You already know that he is a wonderful steward of the mysteries of God. You already know he has a passion for God's people and so I won't say anything else about my friend because you already know that. 
and we just celebrate his work. We also celebrate the presence of the first family here today, Sister Murphy. God bless you. And to my lovely wife who has accompanied me, we are grateful for this opportunity. Now, there are certain things that, that you got to do when you show up as late as I did. <laughs> and I do apologize for the miscommunication. It was squarely on our end. And I was not shunning my responsibility. We just had a mix-up, and you know, the older you get, the more mix-ups you have. <laughs> so, I'm just thankful to be here. But, but can I settle myself? All right. I've had some good days. I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days and some sleepless nights, but when I, when I look around, I think things over all of my good days outweigh my bad days I, I won't complain sometimes the clouds hang low and I can hardly see the road I ask the question Lord Lord so much pain but he he knows what's best for me. Though my weary eyes, they can't see. So I'll just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I won't complain. God's been real good to me. He, he's been good to me more than this whole world or you could ever be. He's been so good. He's been so good to me he dries 
all of my tears away. Turns my midnights into day. So I'll just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I won't complain. God, he's been real good to me. Even though my weary eyes, they can't see. So I'll just lift my hand and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I won't complain. Oh, come on, celebrate the goodness of the Lord in this place today. Hadn't it been good to you? Hadn't he given you a good pastor? Or just tell God, thank you. Let us pray. Eternal God, thank you. We say thank you when thank you is so inadequate. But it is all the English language so we bless your name for being so good to us and now oh God we pray that you transform this pulpit into a burning bush experience where we might hear your clarion call to service as you speak to us and commission us to become ambassadors of your eternal kingdom. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you for this people. Thank you for this pastor. And thank you for their time together. Now, dear God, you have blessed it in the past. Through dangers seen and unseen. And we pray that you would continue to establish your word in this place through your manservant, your prophet, your preacher, your pastor, Dr. James T. Murphy, Jr. Now, God, allow just a bit of the overflow of this experience to fall fresh on us, to anoint us for this moment of proclamation. Hear us now, dear God as we ask your blessing for preaching power and prowess. In the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Beloved, I want to attract your attention to the first testament. And there I want to find my moorings for preaching in the book of going out of Exodus 
chapter 4, commencing at verse 1 and concluding at verse 5. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Translation of the text. Hear now the word. If it is your custom, let us stand for the reverent reading of the word of God. From the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the lesson. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may be, so that they... And it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You may be seated in the presence of the living God. I want to talk just for a little while from the subject, proof for prophets. Proof for prophets. Beloved, I'm going to potentially cash in my preacher's card and allow you just a glimpse into the life of every preacher, every prophet, every pastor. For every individual called and commissioned and empowered by the divine has both an internal and external struggle that is constantly bombarding the preacher's persona. It is a dynamic that is inescapable. It is a burden that all of us wish we could lay down. But it is one that goes so unnoticed by the pew, and in some instances it is ignored by the pulpit. And that burden, that internal struggle is that no matter how gifted we may be as preachers and proclaimers of the word, no matter how degreed we may be, there is always a sense of inadequacy when it comes to handling the holy. Every preacher who deals with the blessed book wonders whether or not he or she has the words to communicate the message that will transform the people of God. Not only do we wrestle with our own inadequacies and the inadequacies of language, but we also wonder whether or not we are up to the challenge and the task of leading God's people. You might have a great deal of when it comes to business and you might be proficient in your profession you might be an expert and a leader in your field but when one comes to the moment of leadership of God's people 
you wonder whether or not you can do it. The challenges are so daunting. The, the, the obstacles are so overwhelming. And yet, beloved, the payoff is so great. And because of that, we wonder whether or not we can really do it. It is the burden of handling the holy. That's the internal dynamic that goes on in the body of every preacher. But there is also, beloved, an external struggle that takes place that is a challenge that swirls in the preacher's mind. And that is whether or not he or she is believable and has credibility. Sometimes the claims of the gospel are so audacious and seemingly so absurd that we wonder whether folks will really believe us or not. When we are confronted with impasse and we dare to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the Lord will make a way somehow. We wonder whether you really will believe us or not. When, when we know you are suffering from economic depravity and we dare to announce that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. We wonder whether or not that's credible language in the face of scarcity. Will they believe us with the appearance of absurdity that's where the preacher finds himself or herself on a weekly basis I dare say on a daily basis when one has to go to the hospital room and lay their hands on sick individuals and pray for God's intervention Will they believe that God is indeed the healer that we profess? Is there a chasm between our proclamation and our practice? It's a burden that the preacher bears. It is a burden, beloved, that your pastor bears. As he comes to stand behind this sacred desk and, and, and dare to proclaim boldly the message of life and hope and reconciliation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you believe him? And is he adequate? But I'm here to tell you, beloved, that God always validates the preacher's work. There is always proof for prophets. For you see, I need to put you on notice today that in spite of our feelings of inadequacy and, and deficiency, God is still at work. And the beautiful thing about the pastoral ministry is that the work that we do is really not in and of ourselves in the first place. 
It is the work that we have been assigned to, to edify the body, to teach, to feed lambs and sheep so that everyone is built up into the body. For we have this ability, this gift, this burden, not of our own selves, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power of God might be manifested. When you hear Murphy stand, it's him talking, but it's God talking through him. When he prays for you in sick rooms and hospital beds, it's Murphy there that's present, but it is the mediated presence of an almighty God who cannot fail. When he holds you and cries with you, yes, it is an act of compassion, but it is the paracletes working through him to provide the comfort. Yes, God always validates the work of the preacher because the preacher is always called upon to do the work of God. And I need to tell you, beloved, that God is still at work. I, I know we are going through some perilous times right now, with a nation that has a lying president, but God is still at work. I, I know that it looks like God has uh, said goodbye and he didn't even bother to give us a notice that he was gone, but, 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 but God is still at work. I know the Congress is in crisis and people are wondering what's God's next move, but, but there he is. Stand behind the sacred desk and say there is a word from the Lord in the malaise and the messiness of human existence there stands a man in this pulpit that does not mind saying God is an ever present help in the time of trouble. There is someone in the context of the crisis that, that does not mind declaring that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is still eternal life. God is at work and God provides proof of the preacher's ministry. That's where Moses found himself here in the text, God has called him on the backside of Horeb in a burning bush experience. You know the story. While tending his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, Moses encounters a burning bush, but the bush was not consumed. And God tells Moses, I've got a job for you. I want to redefine your job description. No longer will you be a shepherd of sheep, but you're going to be a shepherd of my flock. And I want you to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. That's the ministry. That's the mission. But Moses, like any authentically called preacher, objects to the calling. 
And one of the things I look for when young men and women come saying that they've got a desire to preach the gospel is how vehemently, how passionately did you try to worm your way out of the call? Anybody that wants to do this is out of their mind. Anybody in their right mind says, I don't want to do it, but eventually I got to do it because the Lord has placed his hands upon me. So then God says to Moses, Mo, look here. I know you can't talk well. You've got to issue with stuttering but here comes your brother he'll talk for you and I'll be to him uh, as you are to me I'll be you'll be God to him as I am God to you I'll tell him what to say and then I'll tell you what to say and then you tell him what to say and in spite of the divine assistance Moses then further objects what if I go there with my speech impediment. What if I go there with, with all that I have learned of the oppressive systems of Egypt? What if I go there with a distorted past as a murderer having buried an Egyptian in the past? What if I go there and they do not believe me? I can't talk. So I can't, can't get my words right. My history is such that they are, are, are going to remember that I was, uh, I had my picture in the post office as one of the Egyptian FBI's most wanted criminals. What if I go God and, and they don't believe me? Love it. That's when God needs to give us proof of the preacher's ministry. For you see, beloved, sometimes you doubt the veracity uh, of the preacher's claims, but I got to be honest, sometimes we even doubt the veracity of God's claims, particularly when you're dealing with a stiff-necked people of people who have been in bondage for so long that they would rather choose oppression rather than freedom. A people who would rather wander in the desert than be obedient. A people who would rather be stiff-necked, hard-headed, rather than be pliable in the hands of a God who will mold you into something great. God always gives proof for prophets and the first evidence of the proof is God asked Moses to take inventory God hears the valid objections of the prophet and God doesn't let him off the hook but he said I got a job a big job for you to do so I need you to take inventory What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Now, you might think I'm preaching to Murphy, but I'm preaching to all of us because all of us have, all of us have an assignment. God has called all of us to do something. 
and all of us have a grip on some reality that God can use. What's in your hand? Me beloved, that's what you got to do every now and then when you hear the voice of God helping you to understand your giftedness, your uniqueness, your own skill set, your abilities. God didn't just give that to you for anything. God gave that to you for a reason for the kingdom. What's in your hand? All of us have something to offer to the divine. Our chief problem is that too often we are guilty of the sin of comparison. My gift doesn't compare to her gift. I can't sing like she sings. I can't preach like he preaches. I can't pray like deacon so-and-so. My fried chicken ain't as good as somebody else's in the kitchen. And so I will not offer what I have. But beloved, God's proof is that he has equipped you with something to give back to him. What's in your hand? What do you have that can be of service to the divine? What do you have that God can use to help another life? What do you have that'll bless somebody else's existence? What do you have? Don't be looking at what somebody else has, but what do you have? I want to put you on notice today. Your pastor has a lot and you all be thankful for that. But the question this morning is not what does Murphy have, what do you have? What do you have to help this work? What do you have to help God's assignment in this place? What do you have that will further advance the kingdom at greater little Zion in Fairfax? What do you have? You may not be able to sing like angels, nor may you be able to preach like Paul. But you ought to be able to tell the love of Jesus that he died for us all. You got something that'll stack up and measure up. You got something. It may not be much, but you got something in your hand. It might be an experience to tell somebody that, baby, I made it and you can make it too. It might be a word of encouragement that'll lift up somebody's faltering spirit. It might be that you've got a song to sing that nobody else can sing. What do you have? whenever God starts taking inventory God is about to do a new move what do you have and Moses simple reply was all I got is a stick a staff but you see beloved what you have may not look like much. And what you have may seem insignificant, but I'm glad I serve a God that can take insignificant things and do big things with it. I'm glad I got a God that can take next to nothing and make something out of it. 
I'm glad I've got a God that can take what little bit I may have and use it to his glory and in his service to do great big things. I'm glad I've got a God that can that specialize in using insignificant things. And beloved, you want to know the most insignificant thing he has is you. Too many of us are bloated and have uh, burgeoning egos and ballooning self-esteem. But if you really peel back the layers, if you take off your Gucci bag and your Hickey Freeman suit and take off your man, look at yourself in the mirror, you ain't but a few cents worth of dust. But I'm glad there's some divinity in my dust. And when I look at myself, God can use somebody like me. God specializes in using insignificant things. Moses, 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 what do you have? I have a staff. That's all I got. Well, Moses, that's all you need is the staff. Beloved, I submit to you today that your pastor is gifted. He possesses a keen intellect that has a way of taking concrete, abstract concepts and making them available to those that may not have the benefit of his education. He has a way of preaching with clarity, with passion, with conviction, and with power so that the lost can find their way and the hopeless can be inspired. And that which seems irreconcilable will then come back together. He has a great deal. And the staff that he has is the staff that you need. For you see, beloved, the gift that God has given every pastor is really where God wants to take you if you just get on board with God's program. His set of giftings and unique skills is the direction in which God wants to move in the life of this congregation. So stop complaining. Now, I don't know none of y'all's business. But I've been doing this for 31 years. And I've learned a few things in 31 years. I know that folks that are put on the program, we love you, will also complain about you. He uses too many big words. He's gone out of the office too much. But baby, rather than complaining, look at what the Lord has given you and where God wants to take you. God specializes in using that which seems insignificant, but when given kingdom purpose, 
it is redefined and retooled to become the agent of transformation. What do you have? Moses simply said, all I got is a staff. God said, well, let me show you what I can do with a staff. Throw it down. And see, beloved, you got to understand that your gift really doesn't mean much till you release it. When you get it out of your hands is when God starts using it. You got to release it. The Bible says that Moses threw down the staff and the stick became a snake. God can transform the insignificant into the significant. And the Bible says that when Moses threw it down, he had to jump back. Now, one might suggest that he uh, has the proper proximity to the miraculous movements of God because he's afraid of what God has created out of his nothing. A snake from a stick. But I would suggest that Moses understood that when God is doing God's work, you got to give God room and get out of God's way so that God can do what God wants to do. He wants to use your stick, but he doesn't need you in the equation. He wants to transform your life, but he doesn't need your little stick. He just wants to use your little stick. So every now and then, stop complicating God's move and step back. You better learn to back up. And proof of God's operating in the life of a people is that God is doing stuff we sometimes don't understand, but we need to back up and just let God do what God is going to do. Part of the church's recalcitrant response is that if God does something we can't understand, or God does something we ain't never seen, or if God does something that's unfamiliar to the vast canvas of our experience, then we want to say God didn't do that. But every now and then you need to check yourself and just back up and let God do what God is going to do. The proof that God is doing something miraculous is that it requires your proper proximity to the miracle. You've got to step back and give God room to do what God is going to do. Bible says that God told Moses, throw the rod down and it became a serpent. And then the Bible says Moses backed up. And then I want you to know that part of the prophet's proof is that signs and wonders always follow the anointed. Here, the Bible says that a stick became a snake. Miracles, signs, wonders are God's validation of a ministry that God has endorsed. Signs and wonders 
all around us of God's movement and the proof of this pastor's ministry. But we sometimes take the extraordinary and treat it as if it is mundane and ordinary. But I want you to know, beloved, that whenever God anoints someone to lead his people, there will always be signs and wonders. When I look at this ministry, I see signs and wonders. I see folk getting saved, falling out with their old ways. There are signs and wonders. When he goes to the hospital and begins to pray for people and sick folk get well, that's a sign and a wonder. And sometimes when he prays and they don't get well, but they get made well, get made well in heaven, that's a sign and a wonder. Yes, when you bring your children to sit down with the pastor and they come in with bad grades and they go back with a changed attitude, that's a sign and a wonder. When folk come here and their heads are bowed down from the weight of the world, but they leave out of here with a sense of joy that's ringing in their souls, I tell you, that's a sign and a wonder. I, I want you to know today that, that I might be well educated, but I still believe that God works miracles in our world. And I'm not talking about blood coming out of the moon, but I'm talking about a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, there are signs and wonders. Moses, what did you see that day? I saw my staff become a serpent. And the Bible says that when Moses acted in God's command, he picked up the, he picked up the serpent by the tail and it became a, a staff again. Don't you ever shortchange God's work in this because God is still doing a great work. Lives are being changed. Marriages are being saved. Children are being rescued. In mind, body, and spirit are being healed. Eyes are being opened. And the lame are walking. And the mute are talking. Yes, miracles, signs, and wonders are always taking place where God is doing his work. Well, I want you to know that that was in Moses' day. But I want you to know that the Lord is still doing signs and wonders. For God is still working miracles with a stick. For my Bible tells me that one Friday with what Domingo Rose calls those two strange sticks, God did a miracle when he gave his son to die for your sins and mine. He died 
till the sun refused to shine. He died till the world reeled and rocked like a drunken man. He died till the graves were open. He died, but that ain't all. My Bible says that early on Sunday morning, when he got up with all power in heaven and earth, in his hands, he gave power to his disciples to spread the word everywhere. And I believe it's in Mark's gospel. He said, I'm going to give you power that you can pick up serpents. And they shall not harm you. Yes, baby, you got a battle with evil. But I'm here to tell you, you've got victory. That's already been declared for the sign of the cross is a sign of victory. I've got victory in that old rugged cross. I've got power in that old rugged cross. I've got joy, so much joy in that old rugged cross. Do I have a witness here? Ain't he all right? I said, ain't it all right? There's still power in the cross. Alas and did my Savior bleed. Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm like I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was right there, right at the cross, that my life was changed. At the cross, I start living a new life. At the cross, he turned my life around. At the cross, he changed my heart. At the cross, do I have a witness? There's signs and wonders all over this place. Lives are being changed. Do I have a witness? Can I get somebody to testify? Aren't you better when you leave this place? Anybody ever come in here broken, but they leave out whole? Anybody ever come outside, but you leave away glad? Anybody ever come with tears of sorrow, and God turns them into tears of joy? Anybody ever know what my God can do? Didn't he do it? I said, didn't he do it? Oh, yeah. He did it. And he did it for me. I know he'll do it for you. Say yes. Say yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He's a real good God. Say yes. Yeah. 